0: Thank you, David. It's good to be here. And what a wonderful place to be on the 4th of July in Williamsburg. I mean, uh, with the history and the celebration. And I'm so proud and thankful to be an American. How about you? Isn't it wonderful? Uh, There's still no better place in this world. And um, I'm honored to to be here. Enjoyed the worship, the praise band, and, and getting to meet the folk in the early service. Uh, The words to the songs are so meaningful, and I just pray that today, as we look into the Word of God, that there be something that, in this Word, that challenges you, something in the Word that you can reflect on and meditate upon as you leave here, and hopefully uh, incorporate into your life and your witness. I uh, am glad to have my wife, Nally with me. Uh, We've been married uh, happily married for 43 years, uh, plus how many other years? No, (laughs) 43, total. And uh, she's just a great preacher's wife and uh, helpmate and my best friend. So we're we're glad to be here. I want to ask you to turn to Romans. I know it's going to be on the screen. I guess yeah, Romans chapter six, verses one through eleven. I'd like to read that to you. As we talk about what it means to be a first chair Christian today, Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How should we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him in the order that our body of sin might be done away with, So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has freed us from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we also will live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives... He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul was writing to the church at Rome because those small house churches of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians weren't being lovable. They weren't getting along like they ought to. And so what does he do? He... He reminds those Christians, all of the Christians at Rome, that they needed to go back to a certain place. And that was their time, their identity with Jesus Christ. When they were buried with Him in baptism. And yes, baptism is both a symbolic thing. We are buried and we come out and we are reminded that Jesus was placed in the tomb and He came out on the third day. But it's also the realistic event the historical time in our life where we too are united with Christ. Not just in His death, but certainly in His death. We have been buried with Him, but we arise to walk in a new life. And so today I want to challenge you and remind many of you who are Christians that we are called upon to live a distinctive life, to live in a new life, and we are on a journey. I'll be using three chairs. We... uh, I call this a three-chair sermon. It wasn't original with me. Bruce Wilkeson wrote a book called uh, Experiencing Spiritual Breakthroughs a few years ago. And uh, after he'd done quite a few profiles and interviews in churches, and literally he's shared this around the world, and that is, what does it really mean to be a first-chair Christian? first-chair Christian, or a second-chair Christian, or someone in the third chair, a pagan, living out in the world. I believe that we are indebted to God because He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Is that true? When Jesus died upon the cross at Calvary, He took our sins upon Himself. It says in Corinthians, God was counting the sin of the world against, uh, on Him, laying that burden upon Christ. And He willingly took it. He was the one-time perfect sacrifice. In John one twenty-nine, John introduced Him by the Jordan River. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Therefore, I believe that we are obligated because of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ that we're obligated to live a distinctive life. Are you with me on that? And that means that we are followers of Christ. We are the children of God. You see, way back, God had intended for the people of Israel to be light in the world. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 4, God called the Israelites his son, not children. He said, you are my son, my firstborn. And Israel was commissioned to go out and to be light, if you will, and to show the rest of the world and those who worship the false gods that they were indeed a distinctive people, the people of God. But they failed. Because Israel went through this process of rather than occupying the first chair, they became second chair. They were indifferent or they compromised. And they listened to the nations around them. They began to partake with the nations around them until ultimately Israel failed totally. There's another illustration in the Old Testament in Joshua, toward the end of Joshua. He makes this statement, as for me and my family and my house, we choose to follow God. The elders of Israel affirmed that and said, we too will listen to God and be His people. But the elders of Israel eventually became compromisers and occupied that second chair. And then ultimately we see that Israel, the children of Israel, went off into paganism and worshipped the gods of the nations around them. And it's in light of that, in that reference, context, that Jesus said in Matthew 23, that Israel now, the one who had rejected the Father who would receive them, who wanted them like a mother hen to receive her chicks, to care for them and love them, but now their place, their temple, their city would be left desolate because they have gone off into the world. This morning, I really want to emphasize what it means to be a first chair Christian. A first chair Christian is someone who says, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have been baptized with Him. And I, I, my life now, I give to Him and I live for Him because I know that I've been called to a journey to walk with Christ every single day, not just gathering on Sundays, but to live it out, to allow His Word to work in me, to permeate who I am so that I can be light, I can be the salt, I can be the child that pleases the Heavenly Father. We are indebted. And so we have been called as Christians to live a distinctive life, not to be confined to the church building, but to realize the church is an active living body and that we are to go out into the world and we are to show the love of Jesus Christ to everyone that we meet. Amen? Amen. That's a first-chair Christian. A first-chair Christian says, I believe uh, in God, I believe in Jesus, and I, be, uh, I want Him to have my life. And so they develop and nourish a life They uh, develop a, a discipline in their lives where prayer is not just a grocery list or something that's a ritual, but prayer becomes very much a part of who they are. So that as we go through life and experience day by day the relationships with other people, as we hear news, as we experience events in our lives... We are already in contact with God because we find it very easy to, in a spontaneous way to offer up praise for something that we've encountered in our life. We see that as our families grow and expand in the Lord, we're able to rejoice and share in the joy of walking the walk. But you know, we know that we're on a journey and sometimes the journey is difficult. That's another sermon. I like to preach a sermon from the three chairs from James chapter 1. But for right now, first chair Christians don't just say that they're church members. Oh yes, they show up on Sunday. They give them their money. They teach. They, they use whatever talent they may have. It may be cutting grass. It could be cleaning the building. It might be whatever it is. But they realize we're called into a family. And so a first chair Christian doesn't say, I've got to. They say, I get to. I get to clean the building. I get to work with the vegetables. I get to go to a neighbor. I get to make a hospital call. I get to pick up that phone. I get to encourage the preacher. I get to participate, to lead, to work, to share. It's a get to, not a got to thing for the first chap Christian. We live every moment of every day with a conscious reality that God is on His throne. And although we have problems, and all of us do, don't we? God is greater than any problem that we'll ever have. How many of you believe that? The problem is sometimes we let the problem stand between us and God. Push the problem out and give it to God because he can handle it. Now, the second chair of Christian, and, and I, you could go on and on and on with this. The second chair of Christians are people who they love the Lord. Second chair of Christian says, oh, yeah, I remember when I was baptized. It was a great day. And 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 I do give money to the church. Once in a while, I teach a lesson, and and I and I do some things in the church because I think I should. I I feel responsible. But you see, their whole. Faith becomes this kind of a, I'm responsible, I'm responsible. Why are we missing something that's a little deeper? That is, I'm in a relationship. Jesus is by my side. I'm a child of the Heavenly Father. I represent Him wherever I go. And over here, it's just, well, I've got to do this. I've got to pray. I've got to study. I've got to be there Sunday. I've got to cut grass. You see the difference in the get-to and the got-to on the second chair? And the second chair begins to compromise some things. And, oh, they love the Lord, but when it comes to the baseball games, our juniors baseball game, we, we'll have to, not going to be at church Sunday. We've got to take care of that. And, and then we're going to be doing some vacation in the summer, so we might see you guys sometime in October. But we begin to plan and do and seek and work and and everything in life. All the same kinds of things that everyone is doing in life. But rather than putting God first on all of the decisions, we kind of put Him back there where we can pull Him off the shelf. When we really have some difficult times, we pull Him down like the cosmic genie and we rub Him and we pray and we want Him very involved in our lives. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know that's not the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. God wants to be in your life every moment of every day. How many of you really believe that? That God calls us into a dynamic and living relationship with Him. Day by day, not Sunday morning, we come here to worship and we come here as worshipers. The pagans, and these are people out here in the world, and by the way, many of them are good, hard-working people. You're on the side of the road have a flat tire. There are a lot of people who don't, have never been baptized, don't go to church anywhere. Maybe occasionally, once twice a year, they might go just to show up for a service at Christmas or whatever. But they're good people, basically. But all they really see is the world and what they have right now. And I want you to know that to be sitting over here in this second chair and to be leaning this way for a while and leaning this way for a while is a miserable way to live as a Christian. As a Christian, we are to experience the joy that God has to give us. Now, in his book, Spiritual Breakthroughs, uh, Bruce Wilkinson says about 10% of Christians that he's interviewed in churches all over the world, across America, all 10% percent—ten percent of average church church membership would be first-hand Christians. Because these are the people who are committed no matter what. Are you with me? Committed no matter what. The people here compromise. Want to be comfortable. And many are just critical. They are the critics of the church. Too many. Am I losing this thing here? I'm not used to it. I'm sorry. I keep thinking I have a B on my ear. <laughs> and I want to smack it. I know a lot of people. They say 90% of the church members are sitting right here. Oh, they're good people. And sometimes they get on fire for a little while, but then they're gone. gonna we'll tell you a story. Do you believe with me, by the way, that as a teaching in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we're living as Christians, as Christians we live in a world of conflict between good and evil. you believe that? I think there's more evil now than there's ever been. Uh, I do teach seminar in the book of Revelation. I don't teach it in a sensational way. I think the seven seals were open and we need to understand them, but we keep, we keep treating the book like it's been closed up. But in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, when the, the, the beast comes out of the sea... There we think of the Roman Empire and the power of evil and Christians who are being persecuted. And that's happened not only in the first century, it's happened all through history. Christians have been persecuted. But in verse 11 there, begins to talk about another beast that comes up from the land. And this is the false prophet. The one who is seducing the Christians to come on over here. To offer a little bit more of the world and to compromise. And you see, the devil has always been this way. He doesn't want you to become a Christian. If you're here this morning and you're not a baptized believer in Christ, he doesn't want you to ever do that. But if you do, the devil wants you to be so caught up back in the world, if he can't get you to go all the way back, he just wants you to be so preoccupied with the world. Jesus called it the seed that was thrown out among the thorns. He wants you to be choked out with the concerns of the world. That's the way the devil operates. But you know, a spiritual breakthrough in your personal life would be, you know, I'm tired of being so worried about the job, so worried about the kids, so worried about the money, so worried about my health. I'm tired of being so worried about everything. I'm missing all the joy. Christ came to save me. And God wants a relationship with me. And I'm tired of giving it up for the world. About a year, a year and a half ago, I had... some noise out of my shed. And I have this uh, metal uh, dog feeder. And maybe some of you have seen these feeders that uh, you, you put the dog food in at the very bottom. He can push with his nose and get food out of You know what I'm talking about? Any of you guys ever had to eat out of one of those? <laughs> uh, my, no, you just sleep in the doghouse, I understand. But, but you know, you just push it. And so I didn't have one uh, using it, had the shed, and I thought, well, it's a good place to put bird seed. So I filled it with bird seed. Is that a bee on my ear? I filled it with birds. Thank you. And uh, I heard, I went in the shed, and I heard some noise over in that area. So, and I walked around and looked, and I thought, it could be a bird in here. It could be a snake. It could be anything. I heard a noise. Well, a couple days later, I was back out there, and I heard that noise again. Something is scratching around right here in the shed. So I walked around, looked, maybe moved stuff around. Five days later, back in the shed, I heard it again. I said, "Okay, that's it. I'm going to find out this time what it is." And so, as I moved around, it sounded more and more like it was coming out of that birdseed box. So then I, I could hear something. At least I thought I did. So I slid the box outside the door, and I cracked the box. Well, I opened the top and I I could see it was bird seed settled down in there. And so I went to open the bottom. You know where you stick your nose for food? Well, dogs do. We don't. Stick the nose for the food. And it would not open. Something was in there with the seed. And so I kept pushing and pushing and, and finally got it this far and I saw an eyeball. And I stood back and looked. I said, that's what that voice has been. And I said, what is that? And I pushed it a little bit more and I could see it. I couldn't tell whether it was a death stare or it was dead. And I, It's a squirrel. This squirrel has been here for at least five days, maybe a week. He's had all the seed he could ever dream of. <laughs> I mean, like he's has got to heaven. Look at his seed. He's just laying on seed. And squirrel will do anything to get to my bird feeders, believe me. That's an ongoing battle. And I'm determined that I have a greater brain than that squirrel. And in the end, I'm going to win. But I haven't won yet. I pushed that open. I, I didn't know that he was alive. I mean, I heard some noise in there. When he got about that wide, he came out and he was gone. And I thought, isn't it really like that in the world? Isn't it really like that? The devil wants to seduce us. Wants to use the materialism that we have of things on TV and things on the billboard and things in the magazine and concerns of the life. And then Jesus says, seek you first His kingdom and His righteousness and all the things that you need will be added to you. Do you believe that? Oh, and Paul in Colossians says... Talking about Jesus who had been crucified and and seated on high, Paul reminds us that we're to set our mind on things above. So what the devil wants you to do is to become preoccupied. He wants us to be second chair Christians. But I want to be a first chair Christian. Don't you? I want the joy. I I believe that God knew what He was doing when He created this earth. I believe, because God has all wisdom and knowledge, I think God knows every thought you've ever had, or every thought we Will ever had. He knows you so personally, but you know what God won't do? He won't force Himself on any of us. How many of you believe that God keeps His promise? You believe He keeps His promise? Well, He kept it in sending Jesus Christ, didn't He? And He kept that promise, so Paul tells us in Philippians... He says, oh, you need to rejoice, people, because the Lord is near. Believe that. Oh, the presence of God. He doesn't force Himself on any of us. He wants us to be first chair. But guess what? He doesn't tie you to the chair. He doesn't drag you up to the chair. He just says you're missing the joy. We miss the joy of being first chair Christians. And Paul said, be anxious for nothing. <laughs> Wow, I wish I could say I'm at that point. As a preacher, I ought to be able to stand here and say, yeah, I don't worry about anything. I can't say that. So I try to be more discreet. I'm concerned. But Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, offer your request and your your supplications to God with thanksgiving. And do you know that he will hear and answer your prayers? And then we can have a peace that passes understanding. The world can't give us peace, brothers and sisters. But people are running up and down the road looking for that everywhere they can go. Flying around the world, investing money, looking for that perfect place or oh, that peace and it's just not there. Paul said in, in chapter 4, verse 13, Philippians, I can do all things to Him who strengthens me. I believe that too. I believe that the power of God is greater than any problem that we'll ever have in this life. But we just need to give up the second chair and get back over here to the first chair. We're not earning anything. You know, Peter teaches us that there's an is-ness. And that isness, and thats who we are. And there's an oughtness, and that's what we ought to be. Remember, 1 Peter says we ought to be found in Him a certain way. But would you agree with me that the oughtness that we do know about from the Word of God, the isness in your life and my life, there's a little bit of a gap in between them. Would you agree? Praise God and thank God for grace to fill the gap. But I think we can do a whole lot better, I believe, again, that as Americans... Americans and the living in the greatest land on this earth, then we ought to be not only grateful and we ought to be thankful for what we have, but I think we're obligated to defend the freedom and to work at maintaining the freedom that we have. As Christians, we've been set free in Jesus Christ. We should be grateful. We're obligated. And then Paul says in verse 19 of that chapter 4 that my God will supply all your needs. Whatever we need, God can provide. He promised. He can be, yes, he's present. He gives us peace through His power. And He provides according to what we, not what we want, but what He knows that we need. I'm, I'm drawing near the end here, but I, I want to challenge you uh, first of all to see that your Christian walk And Paul says that we are to walk in a new life. It's a journey. Noah never knew that he was going to be a shipbuilder. And God said, Noah, build me a ship. Noah became the the first sailor. You know, he never envisioned being. But God called him out of his comfort zone, and so he went to hammering on a ship before it even rained. And then here's Moses or Abraham first. Abraham, God could have said to Abraham, you know what? You've been a man of faith. I want to bless you and bless this world. But what did God tell him? Abraham, get up and leave your home and go to a place I'll show you. Leave your comfort zone and then show your commitment and listen to me and go. And then when Moses came along, he thought he was going to lead the people at his time. But God wasn't ready for him. Moses was thinking, I was raised in the house of Pharaoh. I'm a special saved child. And you know the people will listen to me, but it didn't happen. And so for 40 years, God prepared him and humbled him. And then God said, Moses, now you go and stand before Pharaoh and tell him that you represent me. And so he started on a journey that he couldn't have dreamed about. But he had to get out of his comfort zone and he had to show commitment to God. Listen, David was the youngest of Jesse's sons. When Samuel went there looking for the king to anoint, none of the guys that that, that Jesse sent out was the right one. It was the one of the litter, the last one, David, who was a shepherd. And so God said to David, I want you to become king. Now, let me ask you, you remember the story. Was it easy for David to become king? No. He was probably thinking when he was hiding in the cave and Saul was out there ready to kill him, Lord, are you in charge here? But David had to show commitment, had to get out of his comfort zone. He had to trust God. That's first chair stuff. The apostles. Galilean hillbillies. Fishermen. Women's a tax collector. I don't know what they talked about in the morning. What do fishermen talk about when they're mending their nets and getting ready to go out? And Jesus came along and He said, Come and follow Me. Give it up and I'll make you fishers of men. Paul on the road to Damascus thinking he was doing God a favor. Zealous for God. He had had to be kind of knocked in the head and God says, no, that's not what I want you to do. But I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. You Jew, uh, Pharisee, great leader of the Jews, you're going to be humbled. You're going to go to the Gentiles and preach to them. Paul, get out of your comfort zone and show your commitment. And now... This is the part where I get to talk about my family. And I'm not bragging. <laughs> I'm thankful to God that my grandparents were 1st child Christians. My grandfather was a short fellow. He fought all of his life. And uh, he died in 1979. But I can remember him as an elder in the church standing behind the Lord's table saying, I'm telling you, you need to be here on the Lord's Day to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. I was a kid, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to him when I was growing up, but I remembered as I got older that he was committed to following Christ. My dad had a jazz band, and so you remember Eddie Jones who played music for years. He had a jazz band. In 1961, Morris wrote the book said to him, Eddie, stop playing for the devil, and stop playing for the Lord. So he started writing gospel music and traveling and singing and leading and, and revivals in that way. I don't, I don't know how this all worked out. My mom, when we were kids, we lived in Hollow Park in Richmond. We didn't have a car. We didn't own one in the 1950s, so she walked with three boys seven seven mile, seven miles seven blocks to church. We didn't know what we were doing. We just picked up rocks and threw them at cans, did everything boys do. I'm sure we were probably dirtier when we got to church than we were Saturday night. But I don't know what she was showing that she was first-hand Christian. There's three of us boys and all three of us preach. When I married my wife, she was in the church. Been in church all of her life. She's had to put up with me. She needs an award for that. But I can tell you this, she loves God. She's always put God first. And a lot of times she's had to remind me that, Ronnie, you slip, you over in the wrong chair. You've gone over here to the pagan chair. You need to get back. I'm serious because she's always tried to be 1st chair Christian. I prayed that we have a son and daughter. I prayed, Lord, uh, I'm not going to tell them who to date and who to marry, but oh, help them to date Christians and understand how important it is to be equally yoked. I think I almost lost at that time. (laughs) My daughter married an elder's... uh, I mean, my son married an elder's daughter and my daughter married a preacher's son and his two brothers are preachers. Uh, why? I'm not here bragging about our family. We're not a perfect family. Hey, there's no one perfect but Jesus Christ. I'm telling you something. If you sow the seed, it works towards producing first-chair Christians. We have five grandchildren. The three oldest, 14 and 11 and 9, have been baptized into Jesus Christ. Praise God. The 7-year-old girl, the 5-year-old boy are talking about it. They're not old enough yet. What, what is he saying? What's the preacher saying? I want you to know that first chair Christians produce first chair Christians. Now, Bruce Wilkinson brings that in his book. Are you with me? First chair Christians produce what? First chair Christians. Okay. Second chair Christians produce what? Nope. Third chair. People who live their lives wanting to be comfortable, not accepting the commitment to be a soldier, not really being dedicated to Christ, not wanting to, to get out of a comfort zone and mostly being critical about what's going on, these usually produce 3rd child children. Oh, they remember something about that mom and dad might have read the Bible once or twice, but they certainly remember how the preacher got fried every Sunday afternoon when mom and dad talked about it. Listen, brothers and sisters. We need to love each other and encourage those who are second chair to become first chair. Do you hear me? I didn't say judge anybody. This is, We're not to judge each other that way. Encourage and love each other so we want to be first chair Christians. And we ought to go ahead and get these pagans that are out here in the world who many of them are good people they just haven't been challenged. They haven't seen the Christian commitment in the life of someone around them. They need to be able to see that kind of love that kind of dedication so that they can be one to Christ. And when people come out of the world, when they've been living in the world and they see what the world has to offer, guess where they usually end up? Not in the second chair. They come in over here in the first chair. And then we're obligated to edify and encourage and exhort. Romans goes on to say that not only are we to live a dedicated life, that's what Paul said in Romans chapter 6. He also reminded us that we're not to be inside these four walls, just stay here and be comfortable. We're to be committed to Christ and, and share Him out of the world. And in Romans chapter 12, we're to present our bodies a what? Living sacrifice? But the problem with living sacrifices, they continually crawl off the altar. <laughs> That means first, before we can really live that as a first-year Christian, we need to a, live a distinctive life. understand we're obligated to Christ, but we need to sacrifice our lives. That means put Him first in that decision-making in all that we do. And second to that, in that second verse, not to be squeezed in or conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, once we sacrifice, then we submit to change from within. And then in verse 3, Paul says, and then we roll the sleeves up because we can't really faithfully serve as a first-child Christian if we don't love and serve the brothers. We are a body, and each one of us has something to offer to the living body. And so there's no way to escape it. A distinctive life, living it out in the world so all of us can know our love for Christ and the love that Christ has for us and for them. And then sacrificing and submitting and serving that's what First Chair of Christianity is about. I didn't come here this morning to make anybody feel bad. I said to a preacher here recently as I walked out the door, he preached a sermon. I said, you got on my toes this morning. And he looked at me with a smile and said, I was aiming for your heart. Brothers and sisters, if I stepped on your toes, so be it. I was aiming for your heart. If you're outside of Christ, we invite you to a journey. We invite you to come and accept, first of all, that salvation, the gift of eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. To be buried with Jesus, to rise and walk in newness of life. To receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, brothers and sisters, isn't that a great message? If you're here today and you think, well, I've been in that third chair, we want to invite you to become a first chair Christian. And if you've been sitting in that second chair and you want the church to pray for you, you come forward. We'll pray for you because we're with you. We're on your side. We're saying, go for it. Go! But if you just want to dedicate where you are, rededicate, I know what you mean. I've had to too. We're going to stand and sing a hymn.